Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Control Alt Azure. This episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. ScriptRunner is a great solution to centrally manage PowerShell scripts and standardize and automate IT tasks via a graphical user interface for help desk and end users. Check that out on scriptrunner.com. My name is Tobias. I'm back again with UC. What's up? Hey, Toby. Two things. It is snowing here in Helsinki as we speak, and it's late March. So I was not expecting snow, but I still have my winter tires on the car, so I'm safe. But more importantly, with the house that I'm building, and it's a project that never seems to end, we are having wooden floors installed. And I ordered those uh, in December 2021. And the, the schedule was for them to be delivered in, in late March, and then we'd spend a week installing those. And, and more or less, the house would be ready soon after. So last week, somebody called me from the from the company where I bought the wooden floors and said, Hey, you see so about the floors. I'm like, Oh, okay. So what's, what's up with the floors? Yeah. The factory that, that, that is pushing those floor bits out that burned down. I, I think it's in Italy. And I was like, Oh, okay. So did it happen? You know, like yesterday? No, no. Two months ago, we just didn't have time to let you know. So we're letting you know now that you don't have the wooden floors. But uh, if you need anything in the future, please don't hesitate to give us a call. Yeah, like, thanks so, for the heads up. <laughs> yeah, so so we scrambled to get something equally almost as good. But for now, I think we'll have floors when we move in. So that's been the highlight of my week. How about for you? So on my side, my four-year-old keeps asking me perhaps three to six times per day when our new cargo bike will arrive. Because apparently I promised that we will get one. And now wherever we go, whenever we see one, and a lot of people around here, they have those to avoid using the car. She just asked me, so dad, are we going to use the cargo bike today? Will we get it today? I haven't quite ordered it yet. So I don't actually know when it's going to arrive. But I, I expect in a few weeks, this will be an e-bike, an electrical bike, with some extra space to kind of stow the family in, in the box. And then we can do some really nice excursions and, and get out in nature. So if, if you're tuning in regularly, you know, I'm a big fan of nature, um, going outdoors. We're doing a lot of adventures outdoors and excursions and hiking. Now, we'll try to upgrade our lifestyle a little bit with an e-bike like this so we can fit the entire family or at least all the kids and whatever equipment equipment we need to bring inside of the box and then just head out. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And I'm pretty sure I can bring IoT into it somewhere because it's an e-bike and I'm, I'm sure we can make it connected somehow, but still staying fairly analog uh, as we do that. Uh, additionally, yesterday it was around 15 degrees around here and today it's snowing. So I guess we have similar climate as in Finland right now. So that means in Sweden that spring is officially here because our weather in spring is usually exactly like this. In mid-March, you get a heat wave, if you want to call it that, around 15 degrees Celsius. It's really enjoyable, really nice. And then, you know, out of the blue, you get a snowstorm or minus five and the, the sea freezes over uh, so you can go ice skating again, right? So just when you remove your jacket and, and put just a, a warm sweater, then the weather turns again. But this is 
It's the same every year. We just forget about it every single year. But I'm I'm happy for for spring to hopefully pop out after the weekend again. But we'll see. So I'm I'm sitting here listening to your plus fifteen Celsius, nice and warm. For us, that's summer temperatures here in Helsinki. <laughs> and just today, I was on my way out to get some lunch. It was minus six. And, and 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 in Celsius in Fahrenheit that's close to zero Kelvin I think it's super cold. Alrighty, so today this is episode one hundred and twenty nine Azure Reservations with Thomas Gemesi. So so we have a special guest and and I'll, I'll let him introduce himself in a second. But before that we had him before for episode sixty and this was all the way back in December twenty twenty. Thomas, welcome back. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Hey, you see, Tobias. Uh, thanks for having me back again. Uh, it was a pleasure last time. So yeah, well, I've been up to so introducing myself. Uh, I would say the introduction still stands. So I'm, I'm uh, still FinOps lead at Maersk and, and driving the adaptation of the company. Uh, I mean, compared to the December 2020, the journey was shall I say, hectic and interesting and, and lots of learnings throughout the, throughout the journey uh, from technical challenges to organization and whatnot challenges for sure. I learned quite a bit on, on, on the subject and uh, we will dive in now. One of the, my kind of favorite areas is reservations, understanding them better and, and managing them and, and driving them because what we will dive in today later on, but one key element, key message from FinOps uh, kind of principle is that you centralize some things, and one of them is actually reservations. And I'll get to why, but uh, but I think that's that's where it helps you to to get better with, with maturity. So, uh. thank you. The last time we spoke, and this was almost 16, 17 months ago. I remember when we were preparing for the show and you mentioned FinOps, I was like, Finnish operations, what's that? And then we got to finance operations. And since then, I've had at least a dozen discussions with customers and they, they sort of shyly ask, hey, what about this finance operations? Do you know anything about this? And I'm like, yeah, I've got just a thing for you. Please do listen to this episode. So I, I think at the time you were ahead of your time, if you will. But but today uh, we'll we'll sort of dive into Azure reservations. Toby, do you know or do you use Azure reservations and do you know what they are? I do and I do at the the small scale that we operate. Pretty much a, a way to commit to uh, using a service like a VM or whatever it is. In in our case, we have Azure database for PostgreSQL and we have some VMs maybe and things like that. And then you can kind of commit to an agreement with Microsoft and say, I'm going to use this for one year on this level or this tier, and that's going to give you a discount. So then you know ahead of time what the price for that is. But my experience here is limited to pretty much what I just said. I look at my bill, I go to uh, maybe Azure Advisor or something, and it tells me, if you click this button, you will save $20,000 a year. And then I go click the button, and then I yeah, verify that everything looks okay and that we're not going to overconsume or, or need to move to a different tier for, for those specific resources, and then all good. So that's the extent of my experience and knowledge. But I know that this is a pretty big and deep rabbit hole that we can probably talk a lot about, because there's a lot of aspects around reserved instances. But that's kind of my experience around it. Okay, so so Thomas, please, please walk us into 
Azure reservations because my recollection is that we used to have reserved instances. Is, is this the same thing? And, and what would you sort of highlight to, to get started with Azure reservations? Uh, on my understanding is the same. Actually, when I was preparing for the podcast today, I realized that they changed the name. So when you <laughs> ask this question, I'm, mm, okay. So yes, it used to be uh, reserved instances and, and it still stands the same, uh, same thing, same concept behind. Uh, so other than the naming, I, I couldn't find any uh, major changes, at least today. Um, my assumption is uh, is that this was done due to align better with that. Actually, now you can you, you can do reservations in much bigger uh, or much more services. I mean, originally reservations were focusing on virtual machines and then and, and reserving computing capacity. As as Tobias was telling that, okay, I'm for a discounted price. I'm I'm committing to use uh, certain quantities there, but now it's I looked up there are 20 plus services uh, offered by by Microsoft to to do reservations in. So I think that that gives also an idea why they probably came, went ahead with with the name change. And again, I would just refer back. Tobias was pretty rightly sum, summarized up that it's this is a commercial agreement between you and Microsoft. It's not really a technical implementation of such. You commit to use. Uh, a certain VM, VM family in a region with a scope. And because of that, Microsoft gives you a discount. I would even say you're not necessarily committed to the usage of it. You just pay for it in advance. It's up to you to use it. So if you don't use it, you generate waste. You will still pay for, for, the, for the usage. Okay, makes, makes perfect sense. So you sort of commit and, and you already plan ahead that perhaps I will be using this type of a virtual machine or a database uh, for the next 12 months, is there a discount possible? Because I would be communicating to Microsoft that I'm, I'm, I'm really putting all in. And since you know up ahead that you will be getting my money to an X amount for the next year, they are then willing to give me a discount for that. But I, I think this is different from capacity reservations because when COVID-19 really hits I think around April 2020, I recall checking up capacity reservations and that was more on, on the lines of uh, next Monday, I am going to be needing this sort of a huge stack of VMs with, with dozens of CPU cores and whatnot. So I want to reserve the capacity that it's available for me, but I'm not committing to using those any longer than I choose. Is, is, is this sort of your perception as well? Uh, exactly, and you are not getting any discount with capacity reservation either. So, but with that, you you uh, Microsoft guarantees that that capacity will be available for you. On the contrary, so reservations, as your reservations themselves, they don't guarantee that re that capacity will will be available. So, actually, we have faced that issue that why we committed to uh, to do some reservations, as you said, due to COVID nineteen, there was simply not enough computing capacity in certain regions, so we couldn't start up the VMs, for example. Yeah, so it is purely a commercial agreement between between yourself and Microsoft. Okay, okay, makes sense. So Toby, you mentioned that in your environment, you're using this at least for VMs. And, and you also mentioned that you're looking perhaps through Azure Advisor to see that what do I need to do? But I, I, I think, and I'm guessing here that you have a fairly limited on number of VMs. It's not like you have 2000 VMs and you're manually clicking through 
the, the, the reservations in there. But Toby, first, do you see that there's sort of a need for a more uh, sophisticated cloud usage patterns that you need to first look at? Or is it purely from Azure Advisor you would use? So, I mean, from, from our use case, and, and again, we're a small shop, we're, we're not an enterprise. So from, you know, the numbers we have, Azure Advisor is, is good enough. What I do is usually I go to cost management, take a look at the bill. I go to advisor. I take a look at cost management here or the cost optimization, which is mapping to, we had a previous episode about the cost optimization pillar in the well-architected framework, which kind of relates to Azure Monitor cost. So going in there, we get these recommendations. And for me, that's what I need. I don't need a lot more than that, but it's also very good and intuitive in the way that it will tell me a number Saying, hey, Tobias, if you take a look here about cost, you will save those $22,000 a year if you commit to capacity reservations for three years. And in my position, I can look back and I've operated now the cloud solutions we have for several years. We know, you know things are flowing, it's running. We know exactly how much cloud usage we have, uh, the user load coming in and where we need to scale up and down. So we could make good plans for additional capacity reservations or um, reserved instances in that sense. So, you know, but from my perspective, that's what I use. I'm sure there's other ways to kind of figure this out. But again, being a small shop, we never had this um, like issue at scale. The one thing that I know Microsoft recently announced, I don't know if it's still in preview or not, but I saw in the Azure portal that you can also now tie your uh, reservations to a management group. And I think in the past you could do it to a subscription or to, a, you know, to whatever resource group maybe or specific subscriptions. But then they did announce something about uh, management groups that I saw in the Azure portal. I haven't tried that out, but it makes a lot of sense if that becomes a reality and goes into GA. So we can then say for all the subscriptions I have in this area or in this region or for whatever, I can apply you know, across the board these reservations because then it's easier for me to say that today I will use five VMs in this subscription, but tomorrow I will use five VMs in another subscription, but they will still all count towards the same kind of reservation. So you get the, the cheaper price. And I know in the past, this was a bit more challenging where if it was per subscription, well, then if you started using something in a different subscription, you would have to have a new agreement for that subscription as well. So I know there are some, some things around that, but that's again, we're now at the edge of my knowledge and experience around these things. <laughs> so, so let's ask the real expert. So, so Thomas, how do you plan on on when do you need to use reservations, and how do you how do you approach and how do you do the reservations? I think uh, Tobias already pointed some uh, pointed out some good good starting uh, area. So, one of them is definitely advisor, but I I would recommend to first look on uh, if you have an existing cloud environment. Uh, optimize first. So understand is actually what your resource is having there. Are those optimized enough? There is always some waste, but if you see that uh, Microsoft Advisor is recommending you to shut down uh, half of your VMs, then maybe you should do that first before you do uh, committing uh, to, to buy those as a reserved capacity. But so that, that would be the first step to understand. Uh, optimize, your, uh, optimize the environment and then uh, move from there. And the next one is, you touched on it, understanding your cloud usage pattern. So if the organization has a, a appetite for going into VMs, sure, you look into uh, uh, 
reserving reserving VMs and understand that how how to manage that one. But if, for example, the organization is against VMs and the plan is in the future that uh, you're using only past services, then maybe that is something. Then then you you don't do a reservation. Obviously, you don't look into reserving uh, computing because you might block them at some point or you don't allow them. This goes back to our policies before. So actually, policies could help you also with reservations. Uh, quite quite nicely tied together that governing your environment and then what is the what is the future strategy there and after that i mean the next thing is as tobias said look in your azure advisor what are the recommended reservations there uh, and based on that getting to the reservation panel it is it is a really nice uh, way that that will actually give you an idea on how much you should buy how much is actually the savings you could see so depending on your existing discounts uh, it might be that you only do reservations for three years because you're getting discounts from Microsoft for one year uh, already good enough that, or, or your pay-as-you-go prices that it's matching or close to the one-year reservation discount. You might look into three-year reservations, uh, understanding that one and using the, the reservation panel to dive into to where you go. I will be honest, the most complicated one is, is the, the VMs because there are lots of options. You have to find which region you're looking into, which VM families, and there are if I remember right, there are over 200 uh, different SKUs, I think. And uh, I don't know how many families, uh, probably around 40, 50 families at least, I think we have. And when you define your scope, you have to define all this. So you have to define which region you're going to do the reservation, uh, which VM family at least. And then in the end of the day, you have to define the actual SKU you're doing the reservation in. However, Microsoft helped you in that point nicely that there is the so-called VM flex, uh, flexibility or VM uh, family flexibility. What it means uh, that you reserve preferably the smallest uh, from the VM family. So like a, v, uh, a D2 type, so something with two uh, CP or something. But then that reservation applies to all the VMs or could apply to all the VMs in that family. So even if you are now starting up the 64 VMs from the same family, it, the reservation discount will apply to that one, even partially. So you might not provide the full discount for the whole VM, but for example, half of it. So that's, that's generally the approach which we, we are following, reviewing what is in there in, in, in a Microsoft, reviewing our cloud usage and, and, and go from there to start. Uh, what I would recommend, don't go in full, especially in the first place. So understand how reservations are working, uh, set some targets. So for example, setting a low target on how much capacity you want to reserve or how much consumption you want to reserve could be an, an option, for example, to say 40-50% of your VM usage is reserved. Try to reach that one in granular steps, not in, in one blow. Uh, try to reserve those VMs which are more commonly used in the environment. Uh, again, I would link back to the policies uh, which can help in that if you limit the regions and really limit the VM families you're allowing in the environment, that helps you to do better coverage with reservations because then you know, okay, we are only allowing certain D and E series machines. Uh, I can you know, bravely go into and reserve uh, uh, more. So that's that, that's where I would I would at least say that to to start. And then it's very important to maintain this. So somebody should be responsible for the reservations. Where we have seen challenges is that if the product team or an engineering team uh, does a reservation themselves, and honestly, they forget about it, because why would they look on a reservation? They do something else, they move over to some projects, and the reservation will be hanging there on that single subscription. 
but it's not going to be used because they already moved over to a different family or, or they're using different services, whatnot. And you are actually generating waste. You're paying, paying for something which nobody's using. So that's where it comes in that hopefully a centralized function or a centralized ownership of, of, of the reservations is, is desired because then that team can continuously optimize and, and look into that. Okay, we moved from this VM family to another one. Let's do the exchange. Let, because that's something you can do with, with reservations. You can give back to Microsoft what you acquired. Even your reservation time hasn't, you haven't went through with the three years and you can buy new reservations for the same amount uh, exchanging to the newer VM family and you still would have the all the discount and benefits that comes with the reservation so and that kind of continuous exercise of in in, in this space is uh, i think very very important i really like this i did not know that you could kind of hand over or hand back the the time that you committed to and, and just say let me upgrade to the to the new family here my understanding previously my very limited understanding previously was you just commit to this family size and then you run it for one year or three years and that's it. But I, this is very good insights because this is something that I was looking into uh, not too long ago. So myself, so I know others will also be in the same spot where they think maybe they're hesitant as I have been to reserve something for one or three years because we know that we might have to scale up or might have to migrate to the next uh, kind of tier or, or something like that. So, so this is good news. I will take a deeper look into that for sure. I could really see the challenge in there that if you don't have a centralized function to look after the reservations, I'm already seeing the same with any of the security related features. You enable something like uh, Defender for Cloud capability for VMs to protect those VMs. And you might have a developer just clicking those on and it adds about $15 per VM per month easily. And if nobody's keeping track or monitoring that, it's impossible to plan for or, or, or budget anything. And I think the same applies here. I'm, I'm looking at the, at the sort of list of services that are supported through, through this capability. And I, I, I think it's worth understanding, at least for me, is that if you buy a reservation for a virtual machine, as an example, it covers the VM but it doesn't cover anything additional like the Windows license or storage or added storage or anything else. So, so this, this really feels to me like you need to plan ahead, then apply and then monitor on, on what's, what's happening. So you mentioned that if, if I buy a reservation for something like a B2 SKU from the, from the burstable VM family, that I can then change that to maybe a B4 later on does it have to be the exact same vm or can i spin up a new vm uh, apply that as a b4 and then reallocate the reservation for the b4 and get it off from the b2 uh, that's a very good question and that's a bit of uh, i've seen i've met with that a bit of misconception around reservation so it goes back to we are not reserving that actual vm we're reserving capacity so if you if you by, for example, 10, uh, let's go with a capacity on the B2M, uh, B2MS uh, ms series, 10 of those as a, as a capacity reservation. You, you can deploy 10 of those and all will be uh, having under the discount, or you can deploy five of B4s, for example, or even maybe, I, I don't know the exact ratios, that, that's something which is available in the Azure portal and probably we can put into the, into the show notes, but 
Uh, it can be even, I think there are B16, I think that's the that's the biggest maybe machine in that uh, or biggest queue. So it will be applied even to that one. Uh, and you can uh, dynamically change those as you like. The reservation uh, is always applied on the scope which you define. So which region is, are you, what is your target? So referring back to Tobias's comment on that, the buying on, on subscription. So we, in our organization, we are buying always shared reservations. So we don't have to care about uh, on which subscription it's applied. It's applied actually across whole, the whole enterprise agreement. And that, that makes, shall I say, the management easy as well. But yeah, that means that, that those randomly applied one thing to remember, you're not necessarily will know that where the discount will be applied in case of a shared reservation. So if you have 10 of these B2s and you across your organization, you have 40 B4s, then that will be randomly applied and that's going to change. I think it's per hour where I think Microsoft randomly applies these discounts. So you won't be able to tell in advance except if you really scope it down, but then it requires much more management that where actually this discount will be applied. But across the board, then you, you achieve the biggest savings because you have a large uh, landscape where you can target the reservations. Okay. So, so you mentioned uh, EA, the enterprise agreement, but if, if somebody's listening on this and going, well, we don't have an EA agreement, we have like a CSP or something smaller, can those subscription types also use reservations? As I looked up pretty much any, so uh, the uh, CSPs or MCAs or even normal pay-as-you-go, they can do reservations as well. Uh, the only thing where it was not allowed is the developer or, or uh, MSDN type of subscriptions uh, because those are kind of paid by Microsoft. So they are not really uh, supporting that you buy additional reservations on top of those. Uh, one thing to remember that you will get charged even if you cancel your pay as you go, probably Microsoft will still charge you because of the reservation. So that's something you have to pay. It's not something you can just escape uh, easily. However, there is a way that uh, besides exchanging reservations, which is a nice feature, it has its limitations because you cannot exchange between services. So you cannot exchange a VM reservation to another service like Databricks or database. So that's something to keep in mind. Again, goes back to understand your strategy, but you can even, there is a, think 50k per year, you can actually cancel reservations. So you can tell to Microsoft, sorry, I'm not going to use this, I give it back. Even that option is there. Uh, there are some penalties. But if you see that that's necessary, you can you can investigate that uh, that option there. And in smaller cases, that could be actually a good thing that, that to, to drive to. Okay, okay, I can I can really buy into this, this idea. If we circle back a bit, to, to FinOps and, and more specifically to, to cost management. Is it the cost management in Azure portal where you're actually comparing, this is what I would normally pay, but if I'm using reservations, this is the sort of discount or this is how much money I'm saving. So, so where, do you, where do you check this once, once you've committed and after six months you want to see and somehow have proof that, that you're saving on the cost? There are multiple places. So Microsoft provides lots of options in this space. One of them, yes, is, is the cost management blade is, is a good starting point. Um, there is, uh, a, on the cost management blade, cost analysis blade, there is a drop-down menu, actually, where you, by default, it goes to actual cost. And that is without reservation. So you will see, this is what I, this is what I would pay if we don't, we don't get any reservations. 
And then there is a drop-down and you can see the amortized cost, which includes then reservations, especially in case of a central purchase reservations, then you can see actually where those reservations has been applied. So you can find out that this was my real cost of my VM that includes the baseline cost plus the, plus the discounts. And seeing actually the, the, real, the real benefits you have saved, it's not within the cost analysis plate. So you can use it for charging back your costs and whatnot, but to really get an understanding of your overall savings, how much uh, dollars or how many dollars you have saved throughout a certain period, uh, I would refer back to, I think we touched on this on the, on the podcast before, is the Power BI desktop, Power BI link, which, is, which uh, you can link back to your, your billing information into the Power BI desktop and analyze your cost there. Or actually there is this cost management Power BI app, which is, which is really nice done. There are some nice dashboards, which then visualizing back these, these uh, uh, actual savings, uh, shall I say, out of the box. And then, of course, the standard ways uh, you can uh, engage through uh, Azure CLI, uh, PowerShell, or APIs and get, get the data and, and kind of build on top of that certain reports. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of understanding this, this better now that once you do a bit of, planning and, and designing upfront, then you can choose what type of a reservation you want to purchase. Is it one year, three year, shared or single? And how do you want to apply that per subscription or uh, to management groups or something else? And then once that, that sort of heavy lifting is done, to me, it sounds like it's enough now to monitor, monitor that perhaps on a weekly basis to see are we on track? Are the plans uh, as they should? Did something change? Because I'm thinking now that I might have a developer and they spin up, let's say, Azure database for MySQL. And a week later, we figure, well, this seems to be in production and, and we know this service will run for at least a year. Let's get a reservation for that. But the developer might not realize there's, there's this sort of an attachment to the service. They might later decide after a month that, hey, let's migrate this to Azure database for, for SQL. And we sort of lose the benefits of the reservations then. So, so is, is my assumption right in the sense that you mentioned this needs to be centralized in, in terms of the management. So when things happen on the IT and tech side, somebody needs to be on top of things to see when, 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 when the building blocks change and reapply or reconfigure the reservations, perhaps on a monthly basis. Exactly, exactly. And, and also highlighting the options there. So uh, you mentioned uh, services and actually services can be connected with each other. So if I look on one of the complex ones, Azure Databricks, uh, Azure Databricks is, is so complex that you can do at least three different reservations just to cover your Databricks costs. One of them is reserving Azure Databricks itself as a managed service. There are uh, there are discounts in that. Then you do a reservation for the computing because Databricks pins up uh, clusters, uh, and actually those are computing resources from Microsoft perspective. So you can do Azure VM uh, reservations for that, and you can also do the managed disk reservation for the uh, disks on the on the VMs. So you can get a quite complex pictures for just one service and doing doing discounts for all those and managing them understanding based on your based on your load uh, so yeah it's uh, it's there are lots of nice options in there and I, I could really recommend to dive into that one 
uh, one area which I forgot to mention, so you, like the utilization, uh, it is also in the cost analysis play. There actually, it's, there is now a reservation uh, within, within the cost management. Uh, that's where you can see how the reservation has been utilized in the last seven days. And I think now there are options also to go back to 30 days. So you can pull that information as well, how the reservations are utilized. Again, tips and tips there. You not necessarily have to have 100% utilization because you still might save money with 90% of utilization because you're still getting cheaper the service. Same thing, you might not use a reservation for three years, uh, but there is a tipping point after that actually the reservation is cheaper. So if you use a certain service for two years, you still sign up for three years. And after two years, even with paying off the rest, you will still get overall a cheaper or discounted service compared to if you would just go with your pay as you go. So I think that there are lots of these kind of strategies you recommend it to think through as part of your understanding your cloud usage pattern, even in a small scale. Uh, you could you could achieve quite quite a lot of savings. Makes sense. Makes sense. Toby, anything on top of your mind still on Azure reservations you'd like to ask? Yeah, sure. When can you come on board and take a look at our <laughs> at our Azure? <laughs> no, the, I think this is you have shared a lot of good tips here now and a lot of insights. And I think a lot of people can relate to uh, to where I am as well, where you kind of took a look, but you're a bit hesitant to pull the trigger saying, okay, I, I want to commit to three years of doing X. Um, but uh, yeah, you have encouraged me to uh, to take another look and and expand the reservations we have a little bit because I know we can do that. So there's there's been a lot of good thoughts here. So I will digest a lot of what I've just learned and go back to my team and uh, kind of figure out where we need to take things next. Because I know as Azure Monitor tells me every day, or Azure Advisor tells me every day, Tobias, you can really save a lot of money if you click the button. Uh, so I, I need to think if I should actually go and click that button now. Sounds good. The last thing, we have the unexpected question. I'm not sure if we had this all the way back in, in episode 60 when we last had you as a guest. It could have been we had them uh, learn a new word in a different language back then. But now we have the unexpected question. And let me ask this from Thomas, our guest. So since you're originally from Hungary, and the, the cities I remember from, the, from your country is Budapest, and that's about it. So I perhaps hope you're around that area. Uh, if someone were to visit there, let's say this upcoming summer, what would be, as a local, what would be a recommendation to, to eat or drink while in, in Budapest? Thanks for the question. Uh, I take it as if it would come from as a surprise, but I, I put some thoughts around that, to be honest. When you first asked, you know, there is the standard one, go eat goulash and all that kind of things. And I was like, <laughs> well, actually, that's not my favorite one. So from, from a food perspective, it is for sure it has German background, but we have the cottage cheese strudel, which is which is a sweet strudel. And there are some really good places in Budapest. I can recommend to, to visit that are strudel house and all that kind of things. So uh, yeah, I definitely would recommend that one. Uh, well, if you're lactose intolerant, watch out. There are other options for strudels as well. But yeah, I, my favorite one is, is, is the cottage cheese uh, strudel one uh, for trying out something as a dessert. And then uh, again, I could on, on drinking, I would 
you know, Tokai and whatnot and, and famous uh, wines, but maybe I would go something a bit different, which is called Unicum, which is a Hungarian bitter. And for whatever reason, when first my foreign friends taste it, they say this is horrible because it's a bitter, but somehow the bottle gets empty super fast. So it seems to be that at least wherever I go, whatever nationality I meet and I offer uh, some unicum, they really enjoy it. And, and, and uh, so, yeah, I would recommend to give it a try to that. The, the unicum, that's, I remember we can get that in Finland. It's, it's this black, dark bottle, like, like a round bottle. And and the first time I think I was 18 or 19 and, and I tried that, I was like, oh my God, what's this? I cannot drink this. But then you sort of grow into it and it's 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 actually quite nice. Happy to hear. <laughs> Toby, Toby, have you tried Unicum or by the time I get to visit Sweden, should we give it a try? We should definitely give it a try. I just Googled the, the image here uh, because you said it was a fancy black strange bottle and uh, it does uh, does look quite intriguing. I'm happy to try that. And also just Google the cottage cheese strudel. And I also want to have that now. So actually, <laughs> instead of meeting up in, in Sweden, let's go to Budapest and meet Tomas. And then he can introduce us to these things. Sounds good. Sounds, sounds good. So definitely thank you again for, for, for joining the show. This was really educating on, on Azure reservations because... Right after when we're done with recording this, I'm opening Azure Portal and checking a few environments if I can save any money in there. <laughs> For the show notes, we'll add uh, Thomas's contact info and the additional things we, we mentioned here. Be sure to take a look. Thank you. And for the audience, we hope you join us next week as well. All right. See you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.